When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Today, our guest presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth. Online at evergreenstl.com is Art Holiday. You know him from KSDK. He has been on your television for nearly 40 years in the St. Louis area. And he tells the story of how he got into broadcasting, how he got to St. Louis, and his many experiences over his 39 years at KSDK. And uh, some of you may know this, and I know some of our younger listeners may not know this, but he was um, one of the guys in the sports department with uh, Ron Jacober and Jay Randolph back in the 1980s, and then uh, for a time with Mike Bush. But then KSDK came to him about doing the morning show and really the, our holiday and Jennifer Blome synonymous with morning television in St. Louis and did the show for 22 years together. Uh, and over the course of his time covering sports, for my money, one of the most famous interviews of the 1980s in St. Louis sports was Art Holiday interviewing a, an intoxicated Vince Coleman as the Cardinals celebrated a 1987, um, what Art thought was a pennant clinching victory over the San Francisco Giants, or it may have been when they won the National League East. They were in the National League East then. And uh, in either way, Vince had had a nip of the cooking sherry. There's just no way around it, and it winds up being an absolute uh, classic. So uh, Art Holiday, the guest presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of the studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. And if you enjoy these interviews, we bring you every week. If you enjoy the questions from the audience, we bring you every Wednesday. And if you enjoy the Pick 6 podcast with producer Joe and G-Unit and myself picking games, and we're on a heater right now. I say this, though, before we're picking the games for this weekend. So by the time you're listening this week, all could have gone 0-18 total. So, But uh, we're coming off 14-4, and 4, heading into Week 8 of the NFL and Week 9 of college football. Then support the sponsors. And Ryan Kelly has been on board with this podcast from the very beginning. And the thing about Ryan Kelly is he's going to save you money and the process is going to be very easy. And I, I truthfully, candidly, have no idea why anybody would go anywhere else. I really don't. Uh, I guess I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, Ryan, I certainly know Ryan. And I know that he's a really good and smart and hardworking businessman. Um, and if you're into philanthropy, my God, is Ryan into philanthropy? So he's going to save you money. It's going to be the best customer service. And whether you're buying a home or refinancing, he's the person to go to. And all you got to do is go to the homeloanexpert.com. So from my standpoint, it's kind of a layup. It's like a tap in putt. Oh, you're buying a home or you're refinancing. You're going to Ryan Kelly. 
It's just that simple. Ryan Kelly, online at thehomeloanexpert.com and the sponsor of our studios. He will save you money, and he is the person that I, without question, recommend. There is not a second place. It's all Ryan Kelly in first place. So Art Holiday, the guest this week on the Tim McCurden Show. Um, I feel like oftentimes I just babble on with these guest intros, and I know I've said that before, and then I get back conscious of it now, so I'm going to stop babbling and just say, here, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, is Art Holiday. Art, I believe you are the third person to sit in the studio with me here who has gone from sports to news. Mike Bush and Steve Savard have been in here, but you were the trailblazer on that in St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. I think you were the trailblazer. I suppose you could characterize it that way. Um, You know, I saw people like Brian Gumbel do it. I saw Brent Musburger do it. He was doing news in Chicago. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, You know, so I don't know that uh, I'm a huge trailblazer. I was afraid to say no. <laughs> so, so it was a fear I mean, play. Truth be told, I, you know, I the general manager who called me up to his office uh, back in that would have been '89. Um, you know, I'm 13 years into a sports casting career, covering all my hometown teams here in St. Louis, and I was happy. And I get called up to the general manager's office on the third floor. And on the elevator ride, I'm like, you know, you start reflecting, have I screwed up? You know, because uh, I don't didn't have that much interaction with the GM. And uh, he sat me down and he said, uh, you know, we're thinking about making some changes with our morning show. And I think you'd make a good co-anchor for Jennifer Blom. Uh, well, as it turned out, you know, that turned out to be a brilliant decision because Jennifer and I wound up co-anchoring together for 22 years. But at the time, um, this particular general manager, if you got on his list, you weren't getting off of it. <laughs> you know, I saw how he had treated other people at the station, and I kind of wanted to stay there. So, And he insisted that it was my decision, and myself, this feels like a trap. <laughs> if I say no, I'm dead man walking. And, um, you know, at the time in 89, we were the only local TV station doing early morning news, Channel 4 and and Channel 2 hadn't started their early morning broadcast. And it was a 30-minute broadcast. When I left 22 years later, it was a three-hour broadcast. It was only 30 minutes? Yeah. Minute? Wow. So Is that all I, you did then? I had a front seat to the explosion of local morning television, which is now a, a, a huge profit center for stations all over the country. When you made that switch, were you thinking to yourself, oh, no, I love doing sports? Or were you kind of like, you know what, I've done it for 13 years. I'm interested in this. I took it as a challenge, but it was a little, I was a little insecure about it. You don't know if people are going to accept you in a new role. Uh, The things that I had in my favor, uh, number one, was Jennifer Blome had been a veteran of the show, and she made it extremely easy for me to make the transition. And, um, you know, we had, we both started there in 79, so I knew her. Uh, didn't know her well, but we both worked weekends. That's where we started. She was doing weekend weather. I was doing weekend sports. And um, we just kind of clicked. It wasn't anything planned or anything, and the audience gave us permission. I, the, my standard joke is in school they separate the class clowns. At Channel 5, they sat us next to each other every morning <laughs> and turned us loose, and we just kind of amused ourselves. And... You know, because, 
if you think about it, I mean, I, you've probably worked some early morning shifts in your career. That's a goofy time of day to be working. Yeah. You're sleep deprived. There's no management around. There's no usually. management around. Yep. So that's that lends to the anarchy. <laughs> 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 and the first time we had one of our celebrated laughing jags, we thought they were going to fire us. <laughs> and the phones lit up at the switchboard and the switchboard operator saying, Everybody loved it when you guys cracked up and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, and Art seems like a real guy and Jennifer's not stuck up like I thought she was. And, you know, people are just like losing their minds. And, and uh, you know, so it obviously it worked out. Was it a master plan? Far from it. But it happened to work out. But the chemistry is the thing that if I had to guess was the thing that made it work for 22 years. You can't create that. Either it's there or it's not. And you guys had it. Well, you we've all seen anchor teams or radio teams where they're great together, they're mediocre together, they can't stand each other, and it shows. You know, I mean, it's all over the map. And the holy grail is chemistry, and it just happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to generate it. I mean, you can do that to an extent as far as getting to know each other, and then hopefully if if the the broadcasting partners have each other's backs— then it will probably work. But, you know, there's some backstabbing in this business, and, you know, sometimes for whatever reason it doesn't work. I mean, I've, I've seen it. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, if you think we were acting up on camera, I mean, our desks were right together in the newsroom, and, I mean, we crack each other up all the time. We just had similar sensibilities. We took our job seriously, but we didn't take ourselves seriously. And we recognized that, in, especially in early morning television, when you're seeing a lot of the copy cold, because there's only yeah. so much of it you can pre-read, yeah. because a lot of it's being written while you're on the air, especially in the, in the last couple of hours of the show. And so, you know, mistakes are made. And uh, we kind of flipped that and turn it to our advantage. If we made a mistake, we would include the audience, make a joke about it, move on, and and it worked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it wasn't all, you know, laughter and joking. I mean, we covered every kind of story you could cover uh, during the 22 years that we were together, everything, you know, the Pope to uh, a helicopter being up over my high school, St. Charles High School, when it was burning down. I mean, that was a surreal morning. Um, you know, but um, Jennifer was, is, is an incredible professional, and we got to be really good friends. And that doesn't always happen. Yeah. And, um, and like I said, the audience let us be who we, who we are. What was it like when that run came to an end? Do you recall that? final day that final few weeks <laughs> wow uh how deep do we want to get let's into go this? deep let's <laughs> go deep let's go deep well, yeah i mean that's good for you <laughs> that may not be good for me <laughs> um let's put it this way um we we get to rent these jobs we don't we don't get to keep them for life and uh i, I wasn't happy um, the last month that I was on the show, we won in the ratings. Um, but I had a decision to make. 
am I going to be the angry guy in the newsroom who's, you know, upset because his role has changed, or am I going to be a professional? And I take a lot of pride in the fact that in the 39-plus years that I've worked at Channel 5, I've reinvented myself multiple times. That Whatever they've thrown at me, I've been able to handle. You don't get to do this job for almost 40 years if you can't hang. You know, whether it was doing sports, whether it was doing early morning news, whether it's general assignment reporter, now I'm on our storytelling, which means I just get to go out and find cool stories and cool, interesting characters, Mm -hmm. which I love. Um, You know, so uh, long story short, uh, at the time I wasn't happy. But, you know, I mean, this is a business where... If you're happy over a long period of time, it's usually a coincidence. <laughs> it's not because anybody's trying to make you happy. Yeah. So you're always feeling like there's something waiting around the corner. That's yeah. how I always feel. Yeah. Even though, you know, in your case, 39 years, in my case, I've been in the market almost two decades. You're just like, what's waiting around the corner? What's waiting? Which I guess lends itself to why you've adapted. Um, but the sports casting thing to go from sports to early morning news, we've seen Rennie do it as well. I guess Rennie's right. the fourth. Rennie's yeah. been in here as well. Right. Um, with with your sports casting career, I felt like you were like a guy who, if you wanted to, and sometimes people don't want to, could go take your pick to some other places if you wanted to, even though we're both St. Louis guys. Uh, did that Was that something that was going on in the 1980s where people were kind of going, hey, our holiday might be good to move him here or there? Uh, uh, I've got a couple of stories related to that. One was I got a call from... WABC in New York, and they wanted a tape. This is when I was doing weekend sports. So I sent them a tape. How old were you when that happened? You remember? Uh, I was probably still in my maybe late 20s, uh, early 30s maybe. And, um, you know, so I sent a tape, never heard anything, never heard anything. And then maybe about a year and a half later, I ran into this guy that I used to work with at five, and he said, yeah, I was in the news director's office at WABC in New York, and I saw your tape in the slush pile. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, the news director that asked for all those tapes got fired. <laughs> but the tapes got left behind. <laughs> so, you know, every news director's got you know, a big pile of audition tape. Well, not, not anymore. Right. Everything's digital now. Um, so that was a missed opportunity. But right after... Six months after I started on the early morning news, um, I get a call from uh, John Filippelli, who was the coordinating producer for college basketball at NBC Sports. Very odd phone call to be getting at my desk in the newsroom. And he goes, Art, uh, Bob Costa says you're pretty good and we should take a look at you as a sideline reporter. And the rest of the story was that the following season, NBC was getting the National Basketball Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were doing live auditions to be an NBA sideline reporter. They had sportscasters from all over the country, ex-athletes, ex-coaches. Um, at the time, Rudy Martsky was writing for USA yeah, Today. Yeah, remember that, Calm. He wrote about it in it. Dan Caesar wrote about it locally. So I got to do, got to do two college basketball games. Uh, I did, uh, the first one was UNLV Temple. That's, That's when, when UNLV uh, was sick. Oh, they were, they were loaded. I mean, that was Stacey Ogman, Larry, Larry Johnson, Johnson yeah. Greg Anthony, uh, Mark Macon was playing for Temple. Uh, so, and I got to work with uh, Marv Albert and uh, Al McGuire on that game. 
And, um, you know, it went okay. Uh, you know, the game wasn't shown here in St. Louis. but And then later on, uh, a few weeks later, I did Mizzou and Notre Dame. And uh, that's when Norm Stewart was still coaching at Mizzou. And uh, LaFonso Ellis was playing for Notre Dame. And uh, Norm kicked me out of his huddle. I was trying to eavesdrop, <laughs> and, he, and he kicked me out of his huddle. Uh, but I interviewed Lou Holtz on uh, the regional broadcast, and, and then I never heard anything. And then, obviously, they, uh, they hired Ahmad Rashad, who was already on the payroll. And, you know, so at that point, my head's spinning. I've just left sports to go into news, you know, so I'm concentrating on that. I get the dream phone call you know, getting a chance at the show at the network level, and then you don't seal the deal, Mm -hmm. you know, so I was bummed about that. I'm still trying to become a newscaster, you know, and I got through it, but it was, you know, it was not an easy time. But again, I mean, you've got to make a decision. Okay. Yeah. You had a tough break. Boo hoo. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, you still got a job. Few to do. people even get that phone call in the first place. Right. You know. Well, and the fact that I had no idea that Bob Costas was paying any more attention to me than anyone else, and that he went out on a limb to his peers at the network level. I mean, that's still one of a one of my career highlights. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, when he um, was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I. I shared that story on my Facebook page and somehow it got back to Bob. And, uh, so he called me and, Oh really? Oh yeah. And he, and he's like, yeah, somebody said you wrote something about me on Facebook. And I said, yeah, I was telling him that story about, you know, how you recommended me to NBC sports and how meaningful that was to me. And we had a, we had a great conversation, but, uh, I mean, I remember the first time I met Costas in the, uh, uh, we were in the, press box at, at Bush Stadium 2, and I see him walking toward me, and he, and he you know, I'm thinking, oh, well, should I say anything? You know, I'd never spoken to him. And he walks over and sticks out his hand, hi, Art, I'm Bob Costas. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> Why do you know who I am? <laughs> so the whole way you got into broadcast journalism was actually, in some capacity, kind of an accident. Is that a fair way to portray it? No, that is the way to portray it. <laughs> Whether it's fair or not, it's true. Um, I was telling you uh, earlier my I, my freshman year of college, I went to SIU Carbondale with the intention of getting into their film department, and I had some vague idea about becoming a filmmaker, and then I didn't want to pay out-of-state tuition anymore, so I transferred to Mizzou, and I had no idea that they had a world-class journalism school, the first journalism school mm-hmm. in the world, and, um, you know, insisted that I declare a major as a sophomore you know, a lot of pressure there. And so I had this like internal 30 second conversation. Well, you're a pretty good writer. You got a decent voice. You enjoy photography. Why don't we try broadcasting? And that was it. Um, You know, I mean, people from all over the world and most states in the country go out of their way to go to Columbia for the journalism school. And I wind up there by accident and it had a huge impact on my career because I was extremely prepared when I left there. I had incredible support from the uh, instructors that I came in contact with. 
And that's not always the case. And, you know, I mean, sometimes they would be brutally honest with people. You know, maybe you're not cut out for this. Maybe you should try this. But no one ever told me that I couldn't do this. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, one uh, instructor in particular, Lee Wilson, who was in charge of the broadcast department when I was there in the, in the mid-70s, um, you know, gave me a lot of opportunities. He made me a teaching assistant, told me to go to summer school instead of getting an internship because he'd put me on the air five nights a week. And, you know, I was doing sports then. And, and you know, so that set the stage for, you know, my last semester in school, three weeks before I graduated, I was hired for my first job in a top 40 market. That's so unheard of. Even now it's unheard of, much less, what was that, like the late 70s? I yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have been, yeah. Well, it would have been 76. Okay. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know any different. I thought everybody sent out an audition tape, and the news director got on a plane and flew to Columbia to interview you, <laughs> and... You know, and it was a top 40 market. I mean, I didn't know any different. And it was later on when I started comparing notes with my peers. Oh, okay. I guess this isn't typical. No, 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 no. Um, yeah. So I was, I was working at KOCO TV in Oklahoma City. Uh, great. Barry Switzer down there? You Barry, Barry Switzer, Switzer was there. Um, I mean, Billy Sims won the Heisman while I was working in Oklahoma City. Uh, Terry Miller was... Uh, a Heisman candidate uh, running back at uh, at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, it was saw some incredible football, mm -hmm. um, and uh, worked there almost three years. And then I had always wanted to work in a warm weather city by the water, right? And suddenly I get a job offer from Tampa, Florida. So I go down to Tampa. I interview for it's the NBC station down there, and they wanted to hire me. And before I said yes. I get a call from a really good friend of mine, Rick Geevers. Uh, we went oh, to yeah. college together at Mizzou. Agent, right? Uh, he's an agent now. Yeah. Um, then he was a producer at Five. And he said, uh, Ron Jacober and Jay Randolph are looking for a weekend sportscaster. If you're interested, you should send a tape. And before I knew it, I had two job offers. I could either go to the beach <laughs> or I could come home where my parents could see me. Uh -huh. And I knew what that would mean for them. And uh, Channel 5 made it a little bit easier because they wound up offering more money. And so, I mean, that was literally a fork in the road that had huge implications because I met my wife about six months after I moved back to St. Louis. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those forks in the road. Mm -hmm. Hope you've enjoyed Art Holiday's stories so far in this interview. And if you do enjoy Art Holiday, if you do enjoy our guests every Sunday night, make sure that you support our sponsors. Because without our sponsors, hey, you know what? We don't have a podcast. It's that simple. I'm not going to do this for my, uh, my health or a hobby. I just That's not the way that's going to work. These people advertise, and then therefore the only way that you can help the cause is by supporting the sponsors. But here's the thing. I'm not just referring you to somebody who's just going to, like, uh, screw things up for you. James Carlton of James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is somebody who I have just switched my uh, both personal and professional accounts over to. And as a matter of fact, was exchanging emails with my dad. And I said, I know, you know, you haven't met him, but I'm telling you because he the place he's with, I guess it's up in a, a couple of weeks, November. I said, this guy's good, man. And you got, you know, this and this and this and this. Said, you ought to really talk to him. He goes, Timmy, he's on board with you. 
I know you wouldn't steer me wrong. I'll give him a call. I'm like, God bless. You should. His name's James Carl. I'm referring to my father, and I made the switch. And this is an insurance guy. And I'll be real honest with you. Over the years on TMA, we've had a number of people uh, who have advertised their insurance, their, their, their insurance brokers. And I'm not, by any means, I want to be crystal clear on this, saying that they didn't do a good job. Honestly, they, they might be incredible themselves, for real. I just know this. I started working with James just because we ran into an issue. Uh, we had a, a car under Inside STL's name, and, and when uh, John Seymour left, uh, I, I gave that car to Iggy for the duration of its lease, and we had to we had to make a quick s- switch on the insurance. It's not a real complicated thing, but uh, James was the one who helped when I wasn't getting answers from my other place, and and James took care of it. I'm just like. Oh, and he goes, but don't switch to me because they're with you. And I don't want you, I don't want them to think I'm soliciting your business. And I'm like, all right, I won't, I won't. And then another thing popped up and I'm like, said to Anna Marie, my wife, I said, God, why aren't we with James? This is because we, I mean, I don't know how many things I get in the mail with regarding insurance and it just puts me on tilt and things get missed. And that's what James is so good at. And you don't realize that because I think you think all insurance brokers are the same. And I don't blame you for thinking that I thought that up until a year ago. And then I realized this guy's in a different world. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. And you wind up covering some pretty good baseball teams. Well, I mean, the Whitey Ball era, come on. I mean, you know, for, for, well, for, a, for a lifelong Cardinal fan, I didn't think it could get any better than going to Bush Stadium and reporting on the Cardinals. And then... You know, now I get here in 79, and the Cardinals aren't very good. Yeah. I mean, they've been in a drought since, what, 68? Yeah, 68. Like yeah. And I covered Whitey Herzog's first conference out at Grant's Farm News Conference when he was hired. And, of course, no, at the time, nobody knew what that was going to mean. And then Whitey moved into the front office. And, I mean, there was a short period of time when – Whitey was just like, it was deal after deal after deal yeah, after deal. Yeah. And he remade the team and he trades Gary Templeton and brings yeah, in yeah. Ozzie Smith. And, you know, I mean, it's a cliche, but the rest is history. I mean, that the 80s, I mean, what an incredible oh, decade. Gosh. That's why I fell in love and, with baseball. And what an exciting brand exactly. of baseball. I always say I would watch the first base pit because that's where it was, a pit of dirt on the turf. If Coleman, McGee, Ozzie, even Tommy Herr... You know, they would steal bases, and I absolutely loved that style of baseball. Plus, and maybe I'm wrong, you had to cover them. I know that covering the Cardinals in the 2000s wasn't the easiest task, although there were some amusing characters. It seemed like it was a fun group of guys. What was it like to cover those guys? Well, um, it depended on the guy. <laughs> That's the way it usually, way it usually <laughs> works. You want me to tell you, you about know, Mark now, McGuire? <laughs> if, it was, if it was silent George Hendrick, that was a really short interview. <laughs> you know, which means, which another way of saying that he would politely decline yeah. because he wasn't doing interviews. Um, but I told Whitey years later, I said, he, I said, Whitey, you made me a better reporter because I saw him dress reporters up and down if they ask a question that he thought was stupid or inappropriate. And I said, I didn't want to be that guy. But um, 83, the year after the Cardinals win the World Series, right? Whitey's a god. And so I went to my 
news director and Jay Randolph. And I said, we should do a profile of Whitey Herzog. He's the most popular guy in town, right? And so my idea was to convince him to put a wireless microphone on during a game. Now, in 1983, local sports wasn't putting wireless microphones on major league managers. I mean, now it's commonplace on network broadcasts. Everybody's mic'd up. Then that was a pretty radical idea. So it took Jay, who was doing the Cardinal broadcast. On KSDK. On KSDK. You know, he convinced Whitey to do it. And so we get there, and uh, we're in Whitey's office before the game, and we're hooking him up with the wireless, and he's going, I, I don't know why you guys are putting a microphone on me. I never say anything during a game anyway. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, I hope he's BSing me, because <laughs> otherwise this ain't going to be much of a story. So... Before the game, Whitey's working the room. Hey, Keith, you know, talking to Keith Hernandez, you, you ready to go? You ready to go? You know, he's just, you know, hey, Mike Ramsey, you, you, you ready to go? You know, just t- testing the water, testing yeah. the temperature in the room, getting guys ready. So Joaquin Andohar is pitching, and uh, he's struggling. And so we got, we're, we got our camera in the dugout, and Whitey is talking to Hub Kittle the pitching yeah. coach for the Cardinals. Hey, Hub, you think you ought to go out and talk to Joaquin? He goes, yeah, I think you ought to go talk to him. So he calls timeout and he goes out there. Now, everybody wonders what the hell does the manager say when he goes out to talk to a pitcher? Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> and Whitey's like, hey, Joaquin, you won 20, 20-some games for us last year. We won the World Series, and you're throwing this blankety-blank up here today? Now take the blankety-blank ball and throw it blankety-blank the way you can blankety-blank throw it. <laughs> and, you know, so we had to bleep all of it out during this. You know, but it was, it was amazing. And then later on, there's like a five- or six-run rally, and Whitey is in the, in the dugout, He's going over to Mike Ramsey. If this happens, you're going to do this. He goes over to somebody. If this happens, you're... I mean, he's like a traffic cop. And he's like three or four batters ahead of what's taking place on the field. You know, it's gold for my story. Because now we get yeah. to see why this guy is, you know, the Cardinal commander, yeah. right? So the story runs. We did, we did a three-part series. And, you know, they gave me as much time as I wanted. Uh, because we had so much great stuff. So one part of it was a lengthy interview with Whitey. It was mostly about leadership and managing and his philosophy of of how to treat players and, and how to make sure the 25th guy on the team is ready to go when you need him because he's the guy that doesn't get any attention. The superstars, they get too much attention. And he, you know, so he was gave a lot of really thoughtful answers. And then the third piece was um, it was just a, basically a Nat sound piece of that game uh, that we had the wireless yeah. on him. And um, so this is 83. So fast forward to about 2010. We had a weekly Cardinal show on Channel 5. And they resurrected my Whitey Herzog piece and started running some of it. And people were coming up to Whitey on the street and saying, hey, I saw uh, that piece that Art Holiday did back on you in 83, and you had the wireless mic on, and it was great. It was fantastic. Well, Whitey had never seen it. So his 
assistant calls our newsroom and asks if we could put it on DVD. So we did. A couple weeks later, I get a call at my desk in the newsroom. All right, Whitey Herzog. <laughs> okay. okay. This, this is not a normal day. <laughs> and I said, Whitey, what can I do for you? He goes, I just wanted to thank you for, number one, for doing that story back on me in, in 83. I sat down with my grandkids and watched oh, it. Oh, wow. And they got to see what Grandpa was all about because these kids weren't even born then uh-huh. in, in the 80s. And uh, he goes, if you ever need anything from me, all you got to do is ask. And, and sure enough, uh, I remember specifically when Stan Musial was getting the uh, Medal of Freedom. I wanted to get a comment from Whitey. So I called him up and he goes, well, I'm running a bunch of errands today. Ah, I'll just stop by the station. How about that? But, you know, so from 83 to 2010, that story on Whitey Herzog had a life. Oh, that's and, such a great story. Oh, it's that's an incredible such a great story. story. How that, cool does that make you feel that, like, that you put this, this was your idea, your brainchild in 83, and now that's something that you know his family's going to Oh, it was beyond forever. cool. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I mean when, he, when he mentioned his grandkids and watching them, I mean, anyone who has children and grandchildren know how meaningful that is yeah. to share something with them. Yeah. And it was obvious that that was extremely meaningful to him. Yeah. And to be a part of that was, I mean, that was incredible. Oh, that's I mean, so I, awesome. I mean, that story was so far in my yeah. rear view mirror, yeah. you know, and then to all of a sudden have it be front and center again, because it was a moment for him and his grandkids. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, that was cool. That's the best. With these moments in St. Louis sports in the 1980s, there I think there are some signature moments, and I might forget some. You have, uh, were you in Kansas City for Game 6 in Denkinger? I was not. You were not. I was not. As a person covering that team, do you recall the evening? I'm sure you were watching the game. That oh, goes without saying. I don't know if you were on the desk. Absolutely. And, and, and Jay and who, Mike Bush, I guess, was there at that point, I think. I think he was right around that time. Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And, and that... Uh, and that particular, I mean, which is still now synonymous. We both went to the University of Missouri. I had no idea that Kansas City people kind of had a thing with St. Louis until I got there in 1994. And they still bring up 1985, even here in 2018 for the right. students down there. And most of the students down there were 10 years from being born. <laughs> so they hear about that. The Monday Night Miracle, 1986, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the arena. Right. And Doug Wickenheiser. Doug Wickenheiser. Were you in the building for that? Uh, I was in the building. Were for you that. in the building for that one? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would imagine that place was shaking. Well, I mean, you, well, anyone who went to uh, the old barn, as they call yeah. it, whether it, was, whether it was the arena or the Checker Dome, right. it, it, changed know, names. it changed names. Yeah. I mean, that place had a lot of history in it as far as the blues were concerned. And I mean, that's easily the loudest I've seen it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there maybe there have been other events like imagine. that but that one's so memorable to longtime blues fans yeah and uh and then one that that kind of ties into your career is the cardinals winning in 1987 right because of vince coleman and your interview live <laughs> from the locker room which somehow we have this fan page for our radio show with like seven thousand members and it popped up like a couple weeks ago and i don't know if somebody said uh whatever 31 years ago today you know and it's, and it's our holiday and vince coleman what was when the east did they win the pennant or something was going on i think they had just qualified for the world series okay um and 
you know, so I'm live in the locker room during the 10 p.m. newscast. Mike Bush is on the sports desk. He tosses to me in the locker room. And Vince just goes off. <laughs> and he's like, we got an all-star in every position. Jack Clark, Tommy Herr, Ozzie Smith, Terry Pendleton, you know, Willie McGee, you know, so I'm like, holy, this guy's drunk. <laughs> and I'm like, Vince, can I ask you a serious question? What else you want to know? <laughs> This is a great impression, by the way, with, like, the perfect cadence. Well, and this this tape services this time every year. Yeah. Some either, I think this time, one of our web people put it out there. But it it, it always pops up during the baseball playoffs. And, uh, you know, so he goes from being drunk to giving me a very sober, nuanced answer. And then... You know, I guess his teammates got, well, you know, we got to liven this party up because Vince is getting serious. So then here comes the champagne and the beer again. And my IFB is shorting in my ear. So I'm getting a little electric jolt in my ear during the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, that was – and I've, I've actually got a couple of photos that someone took uh, when I was interviewing him, I got one of them at my desk at work. But yeah, that was that was a fun moment. That's a classic. That was a classic. Uh, and then finally, as far as signature moments in the 1980s, unless I'm missing one, would be when the football Cardinals moved. Yeah, yeah. we experienced it here in the relatively recent years with the Rams. Yeah. What was that like covering the team, all while knowing that's hovering over? Well, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight. All Bill Bidwell wanted was a new stadium. He didn't want to play in a, uh, you know, one of the multi-purpose stadiums, which were the rage at that point. You know, he wanted a, a football-only stadium. Well, for whatever reason, he was not particularly well-liked by the movers and shakers here in St. Louis. I don't know if it was his personality. I'm not really sure what it was. But uh, they called his bluff. And there was no sentiment to build a new stadium. Now, what did we wind up doing? We wound up building a new stadium without even knowing if we were going to have a team. So, you know, did we screw that one up? Yeah, I mean, we should probably still have the football Cardinals. You know, we should have built a stadium, mm -hmm. but we didn't. And, you know, the Rams, th that was largely self-inflicted, um, but... You know, to have a Missouri guy be the owner and dump on us on the way out of town, you know, I don't I don't dislike the Rams and I don't purposely avoid watching their games. I don't have much good to say about Stan Kroenke yeah. as an owner yeah. and as a native Missourian. Um, you know, I just thought that was, um, you know, it, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, if he had just been up front, well, you know, how often do you see that? But I think we all understand that from a business standpoint, his team was going to be much more valuable in L.A., you know, but to – it looks like they were trying to tank while they were here to affect attendance, and I can't wait for this to go to trial. I, I – man, that's – 
I hope there's television yeah. cameras because yeah. that's much CTV. Yeah. It will be for football fans here in St. Louis. Uh, I suspect that eventually they'll settle because I don't think the NFL does not want its dirty laundry uh, aired in a public forum like a courtroom. Yeah, I could everything you just said. I couldn't agree with you more because I, I get it. It was self-inflicted. I hate to say it, but it was self-inflicted with that clause. I don't blame him for essentially he's doubled the value of his franchise, and now he is the guy in Los Angeles. I get all that. The one thing that I just don't get, like why, as you said, dump on the city on your way out the door. I don't get what the point of that was. I'd really be curious. I'm sh- I assume there was a point. I don't know. Sometimes I look back on it and go, maybe this wasn't as, you know, meta as I thought it was. Right. You know, and and I don't know. I just I don't I don't get that. And I'm curious on this. And I don't know what you're you know, thought processes and and level of comfort in going into it. But I like to get the perspective, especially for guys who have been on the anchor desk for for a good long while in Mm -hmm. St. Louis, whether it be Steve, Mike, you know, even Rennie coming here in 2004. I'm a lifelong St. Louis and grew up on the south side. You grew up in St. Charles. And the Rams moving kind of coincided, didn't kind of, it did coincide with what St. Louis was experiencing with Ferguson, especially from a national perspective. And I think the self-esteem of the region had never really been lower, and it still suffers from that. So as you observe the region, the market in which you've worked for nearly 40 years, what do you see having changed, whether it be for the better or for the worse, since you first got to Channel 5 in, in 1979, Art? Wow, boy, that's a big question. Uh, let me let me give that a moment of thought. Um, well, I, I would say this, that... Um, you know, St. Louis has a race problem. I, I you know, I mean, that's I, I think I'm stating the obvious when I say that. Um, and shame on us if we don't try to fix some of the things that are wrong uh, after Ferguson, because if we don't use this as an opportunity to have some difficult conversations in our community. And I think to some degree that's taking place. Um, you know, I, um, you know, I just, I actually just, one of the last stories that I did last week before I went on vacation was, uh, I was doing a story in Ferguson with the, uh, about the, uh, the police chief, uh, Delrish Moss, uh, resigning to, go back to Florida and be closer to his family. But I was talking to a local businessman there uh, who's, uh, he's an insurance agent, and his office overlooks West Florissant, where it's directly across the street from where the new Boys and Girls Club is going Mm -hmm. to be going up. But that was also ground zero for a lot of the turmoil that happened. And he was talking about uh, how they really felt like they had the right guy as a police chief when they hired uh, Chief Moss. Uh, he had been through some similar situations uh, in Florida. He made a conscious decision to go after this job. Apparently, according to this businessman, uh, Moss had made a lot of uh, impact uh, as far as the uh, police department, which was maligned badly um, in the Department of Justice report um, as far as the way it was operating in Ferguson. And um, 
you know, he was wondering, are we going to be able to find anyone as good? Um, I think there are some positives that came out of Ferguson. You have the a brand new Urban League headquarters uh, built there. You've got a brand new Boys and Girls Club that's going to be a huge resource. I mean, anyone who's ever, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the Boys Club in St. Charles. I mean, that's where I spent most of my free time. Um, I think that's going to be a huge resource for young people going forward because if you're playing sports and doing activities and, and you're supervised by adults who care, you're not out wreaking havoc, you know? Um, so I think there, I think there is some progress being made. There are, um, a lot of people, a lot of organizations and individuals who are trying to be part of the solution in St. Louis. So that gives me some hope, but we're talking history here. You know, I did a story, I guess it was last year, um, about how they had these uh, covenants um, where white people were not allowed to sell property to black people. It was one way to segregate the city. You know, so you're talking about systemic racism in some cases. And these are just like understood agreements yes. like verbal agreements yes and in fact um it led to a supreme court case that overturned it you know so you had this situation in st louis that made its way through the courts and went all the way to the supreme court uh it's a fascinating case that i really had never heard about and but it 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 goes to explain a little bit of how why we are considered one of the most segregated cities in the country. Um, oh, I guess about maybe a year, year and a half ago, my general manager came to me and said, uh, and this was kind of related to um, our post-Ferguson coverage. She wanted me to, uh, me and, and the producer that I was working with, to come up with a series of reports that would... Um, about race in St. Louis. And that was kind of all the direction that she gave me. And they gave us several weeks to brainstorm and meet with people. And, and so what we came up with was a, a series of reports called Building Bridges. And it was um, about individuals and organizations that are trying to bring St. Louis together. You know, so I did a story about a community choir that's integrated because, as one of the people in the story pointed out, one of the most segregated days in St. Louis is Sunday morning when people go to church. You know, you have all white congregations, you have all black congregations, and frequently they don't get together. So they created this community choir, and their goal is to um, host a series of concerts throughout the year where they invite different congregations together. And part of the program is to, you know, talk to someone here that you don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, another one. Um, there was a um, two uh, white suburban mothers who were concerned about their kids growing up in an increasingly diverse world. So they created 
uh, an organization that um, pr- uh, gives parents um, book suggestions, you know, um, for young kids. Huh. And the books are uh, multiracial. They're not just telling, they're telling a lot of different stories. And most of the, the people who, the parents who have joined the organizations are white parents who want their kids to understand the world that they live in. Everyone doesn't look like us. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And I, you know, so that was a, uh, uh, an interesting story to tell. You know, so to, to get back to your original question, I, I have a little bit of hope. But then when you look at the national politics, the politics of division, where it seems like we're doing the exact opposite of trying to uh, bridge these gaps, um, and I don't want to get, you know, too far into that, but, you know, I I think any fair-minded person will recognize that, um, you know, our country is divided, and a lot of it starts at the top. And so that doesn't make the situation any better. And, and you, I think you can make a strong argument that it makes the situation worse. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Art Holiday of KSDK Channel 5. Um, I really did. I, I always say this, though, I did, but I did. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. And Art said so, too, as he was walking out, as a matter of fact. So uh, that's always good to hear. Just love talking with people, hearing their stories. A lot of times you know some things, and then you find out more things. And that's what's going on in this conversation, as as you will hear. Uh, I've also, you know, I've, I've said this to the audience, and it's something that I, I really want to make sure that if you could, uh, you, you listen to what I'm saying because I feel so strongly about it. I really messed up. I really messed up when it came down to how I handled my uh, finances. And I don't want to, I, I, if I say handle my money, it makes it sound like I was like some, you know, uh, guy making millions of dollars, which, you know, not the case. Uh, but I certainly was in a position where, oh, you know, a lot of people go, God, if I could go back to being 23 years old, especially in my spot, 23 years old and we're uh, 23 and a half, not even. So, you know, just a few months removed from turning 23, damn near 22 years old, coming back, uh, and working in my hometown, the blues were great. The Cardinals were great. The Rams were great. Um, Gary Pinkle just gotten hired. So things were moving up there. Missouri went to an elite eight in 2002 and go back and go, God, I wish I would have done this. Wish I wouldn't have wasted my time in this relationship. And I would have had some fun. That's what a lot of people would say. If they could go back, I certainly would have never gotten off the Propecia. There's another thing that I, but what I would do if I could go back, Oh my God, in a heartbeat, I would manage my money better in a heart. And it really wouldn't have impacted things that much. It just was dumb. There's just no other way around. If I go back, if I could find my checkbooks and and see how many deposits I made to poker stars in like 2004, five, six, seven, before I started winning in 2008. So there's four years of losing. Uh, oh God. Oh, I don't, I don't want to think about it. I maybe, I, maybe I should do that. Although what's the upside of doing that? Cause I just, cause I, the only up, the only there is no upside, and the downside is it could be much more than I thought it was, like how much I lost. And to think, oh, to think that you're in a position, especially in your 20s and oftentimes not married or having children, that you can 
start saving money and what that would do for you. But I know what you're thinking if you're in your 20s is that, I mean, retirement, I just, I just got out of school or I've just been working for a handful of years. It's, it's, it's not even something that's on the table. And I'm telling you, and I don't like saying it because I feel like this is like the thing you would hear from what you consider old people or adults when you're growing up. But it goes so fucking quick that you're like, whoa, what just happened? I mean, just like 10 years ago, I was like the young punk guy. And now I'm 42 and you're going, holy shit, I'm super close to, you know, having to think about retirement. And now I've got kids and now I've got it. And it's just, it just, ha it's like that. It just happens, you know? Like the way it happened, I was like, like watching the way things are playing out kind of on social media. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, she was, you know, like always intoxicated at this place and, you know, you know, with this guy this time and, you know, and then, and then, then all of a sudden like, oh my God, she's posting about her kids. I'm like, wow, that was just like seven years ago we were doing that. That doesn't say, and then all of a sudden it happens. And so what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you this. You have two account balances. You have your financial account balance and you have the balance of time. And ideally the former grows, but I assure you the latter will not. And so therefore manage the latter just like you would manage the former and maximize that which you have in that time account balance and don't take it for granted like I did. And that's where Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies comes into play. 314-889-0503 or you can check him out online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. And I got to know him because he wanted to advertise on the show. That's great. Then I got to know him like, wow, this guy is really good at what he does. And it would be a weird spot if I was doing a spot for somebody and I'm like, oh, let me just read copy because I'm not so sure. But I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't get myself in that position. So it's easy to rave about somebody to our audience, especially for this kind of responsibility, because so many people ignore this kind of responsibility and then don't realize what they're missing out on. And the thing about it is, it's not like you got to alter your spending in some drastic way. You're just conscious of it. And you're setting this aside. And ideally, your employer's matching it and you're building up your retirement or you're saving for something that you want in the near future, but you're doing so by budgeting. It's just so smart. It's so basic. And I can't believe I screwed it up, but I did. Here's your way to make sure you don't. 314-889-0503, 314-889-0503, or check out Mark Hanna online at evergreenstl.com. I think, I think I'm hopeful because anytime I sit down with anybody, white, black, doesn't matter. Uh, and I've had a lot of political figures on this show, and I don't know how that's happened, but it's happened. It's, it's cool that it's happened. I always say, growing up in South City, I, 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 mean, I was like five or six years old, but I just remember hearing things like, well, if one of them moves in, I'm putting a for sale sign up. And I just remember thinking to myself, what is that about? What is, what is that mindset all about? And it makes, and it, I thought, I knew it was wrong then mm -hmm. It's six, and I still see some of that today and i guess you could use delmar i suppose is like the the dividing line well that's become the metaphor for what's taking place in st louis the delmar divide right. and and i just and it and it drives me up the wall because i've been lucky enough doing sports we got to travel around and mm -hmm. see all these other cities and i think part of the greatness of st louis but it cuts both ways is that a lot of people who grew up here stay here and so therefore don't have the good opportunity that you and I had traveling with the Cardinals, Rams, Blues, whatever the case might be, football Cardinals, and seeing other markets and going, wow, we're behind and we're continuing to fall behind. And I think the good thing now is that there's actually recognition that 
there are problems as opposed to when I used to talk about this on the radio, it was like, what do you, what do you know? You know, you're 25 years old. What do you know? And I, and I think that's good because in in order for us to actually make progress, there has to be an acknowledgement that there's a problem. So from that standpoint, I'm encouraged, but like you said, I'm a little concerned by, you know, what is the solution? How do you fix something that is so deeply rooted? And I wonder about that. And that's why I like, Getting well, the perspective of somebody who's been around for 40 years in the market to see it, and of course also grew up here. Well, a lot of the issues that we're talking about now, we've been talking about since the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you know, in terms of um, e- equal educational opportunities. I think that, I think that there, are, there are a lot of people in St. Louis who care and, uh, and are trying to be part of the solution. Um, but there aren't any easy solutions when you're talking about uh, systems and ways of treating people that are decades in the making. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it's not an easy situation. Yeah. I I mean, I, I mean, that, that almost sounds silly to say. But it's honest. It's, it's real. I mean, that's the thing we consider and talk about the problems, but what is a realistic Solution, and that's why I'm curious. You know, I mean, uh, when the position you have sat in, you've gotten to see, you've gotten. I'm sure you've ad libbed over and read stories that you're like, oh, it's it's heartbreaking to read. And this is my hometown, as you said. You're sitting there looking at your high school right. burned down while you're on the air. I mean, you've seen some things, and so you have perspective that that many of us, you know, never will have. Well, the the aftermath of Ferguson, including the Department of Justice report. Uh, including uh, a a white paper by a local uh, advocacy group that detailed um, how many poor people were abused by the system, how um, you have all these municipalities with their own individual police departments and in many cases, they were financing their communities with traffic stops. And if you're a poor person and you get caught up in that, let's say you, you get, you know, some traffic violations. Well, if you miss a court date, you get fines that are tagged on on top of that if you can't afford to pay those fines they continue to accrue if you drive from one community to another and get pulled over for speeding um you're worried about that um you can in many cases lose your home lose your job because of all of these you know it's it's like you're punished because you're poor um, and that was one of the another one of the findings that came out, you know, post Ferguson. Some of that's been corrected. Um, again, you know, a lot of work to do. Yeah, no easy answers. Final question for you: I I I, I can't imagine there's anybody in the market who has who at this moment has been on the air longer than you. It's a compliment, by the way. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's a, it's a phenomenal thing in this business. Um, do you go, okay, this is when I think I'll shut it down. Or you're like, I love what I'm doing, and I, I'll do it, you know, another 15 years for all I care. 
Well, I haven't made that decision yet. Um, I'm, I'm actually thinking about it a lot. Uh, I do enjoy what I'm doing. Um, sometimes it's your decision. Sometimes it isn't. You know, that's the way this business works. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if I kept going beyond 40 years. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I, w- I kind of wish I had a crystal ball. Yeah. I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah. Um, you know, but, um, but there's also other things that I want to do. And, you know, I've got multiple uh, film projects that, you know, are basically a, a money drain right now. <laughs> but but they're interesting stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, some of your, your listeners will uh, know that, you know, I've been working on a, a music documentary about Johnny Johnson, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame piano player that uh, closely associated with Chuck Berry yeah. for many years. Um, and the people you've interviewed for that, I mean, that's like it's like Mount Rushmore times, what, four five with the names. It's Rock and Roll Hall of Famers and huge names. Oh, my gosh, the thing's incredible. Well, the thing that I found was that Johnny Johnson's name was revered within the music community. Because if you're trying to get Keith Richards' attention or Eric Clapton's attention or Bonnie Raitt's attention or Bob Weir's attention or Joe Perry from Aerosmith, right. if you're trying to get his attention, if they don't care about what your topic is, you don't even exist. You know, but all of these people stopped what they were doing to talk about an obscure piano player. I mean, if we, you know, walked over here across the street to Schnooks and did a, you know, a poll of people in the building who knew who even who Johnny Johnson was, it would probably be a fairly low percentage. But he and Chuck Berry made St. Louis one of the birthplaces of rock and roll. I mean, music that was created here in St. Louis heavily influenced the Beatles and the Rolling Stones before they found their own musical voices and influenced, you know, everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's like the, like they say, like the Bill Walsh coaching family tree. It trickles down, it trickles down, and it's exactly. still being influenced now. Whole story. I hope the thing, I know you hope more than anybody else that it gets made, but it's such an incredible project. I really would love to see that thing get out well, there, especially I mean, with I, what you've already uh, accomplished on it. I have. I'm still tweaking the structure of it, but I mean, I have a completed film, um, but that's not necessarily the hardest part. The hardest part is is how do I get a lot of material into the film, material that shows how great Johnny Johnson is, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, him performing in Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll or, you know, performing with Eric Clapton in London you know, when he's bleeding all over the keyboards because he's having a brain hemorrhage and almost dies. You know, I mean, all of that material is part of Johnny's story. But, you know, you're talking about material that's owned by big media companies, and they have way more lawyers than I do. (laughs) So uh, I have to tread very carefully because there's 101 ways I can get sued. And then... um, I don't know how long, how much you want to get into this. Um, you know, Chuck Berry wasn't a big fan of this film. And, uh, you know, so that's been an issue all along. So Why wasn't he a fan of the film? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, I didn't have a conversation with him about why don't you like this film. I'm assuming, 
and again, I want to emphasize, you know, this is my interpretation, is that a big part of the film examines the songwriting controversy. Mm-hmm. Should Johnny Johnson have been considered a co-songwriter on some of the most famous songs of rock and roll's first generation? You know, the authorship that would have made him a very rich man. And there was an unsuccessful lawsuit uh, in the early 2000s. It was dismissed because too much time had passed. There's a statute of limitations in the U.S. on on those sorts of of copyright uh, claims. But a very similar case happened in Great Britain where there is no statute of limitations on the song A Wider Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. Mm. Matthew Fisher played that organ part that everyone recalls from that hit song. Decades later, he sued and won and got back, he got uh, songwriting credit on the song and back royalties. You know, so it's a very similar lawsuit to the one, or the similar legal argument to the one that Johnny Johnson was making. So I'm assuming that that's part of it. But you don't have to, you don't have to tear down Chuck Berry to lift up Johnny Johnson. Those two guys were giants. Neither one of them read music, but they created music that changed the world. You know, one of the, one of the storylines in, in the film is that, you know, rock and roll was um, an engine for social change because it, black kids and white kids who were normally separated and segregated, they're digging the same music. And they literally had at the concert venues, they literally had a rope or a velvet, you know, divider separating the white kids on one side of the room and the black kids on the other. Well, you know, once that rock and roll beat started, that rope that came down. Yeah. And, you know, so that's there, there are observations by people in the film, including, you know, Taylor Hackford, the movie director, about the influence that rock and roll music, and that certainly includes Chuck Berry and Johnny Johnson, had on the integration of America. Yeah. In the 1960s, that's a great project. I was reading about it in advance of us doing the interview. I'm like, I really want to see that. I mean, that's super cool. You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) You're a renaissance man, sportscaster, morning news anchor, now involved in film and also telling stories on KSDK for nearly 40 years. Art, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Thank you. So there it is, my conversation with Art Holiday. 40 years, 40 years at KSDK. How about that? I asked him before the interview, and it might have come up in the course of the interview. I feel like it was before the interview, but maybe you said it, that uh, only Betsy Bruce has been in St. Louis television longer now. She is retired, but um, that's something else. I mean, that's really something else. And he's a really good guy, um, obviously very smart, uh, thoughtful, and, um, and I got to tell you also regarding, you know, the project we're discussing there right at the end, I really hope that gets off the ground. I, I when I was reading about it in advance of the interview, you know, just doing my attempt at, uh, research, um, I was, I was in awe of the, the, the caliber of interviews he was able to get, to get, you know, those names to sit down with him. Uh, I mean, that is so difficult to do uh and he did it and so i really want to see i want to see it work because he's put his heart and soul into it uh loved hearing about his stories coming up the vince coleman story certainly 
Uh, but in addition, um, his time in St. Louis, his thoughts on St. Louis and the project he's working on. Just a good guy. First, I think it's the first time we'd ever met. Um, so that was cool as well. So thank you to Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com for sponsoring the studios. Thank you to Mark Wealth Strategies for sponsoring our guest appearances. Thank you to James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Seth Goldcamp, sponsor of our social media videos uh, of Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. Thank you to Tom Schmidt of Salt and Smoke for all of your catering needs. Man, used to be a thing when you're like, oh, we're having a party. Who do we have cater it? And now it's an Instacall. It's Salt and Smoke. Lay up play. Everybody will be happy and people will probably be surprised. And then they'll have the brisket and the Cracker Mac and the burn-in toasted ravioli. And they'll be like, oh, my God, where is it from? SaltandSmokeSTL.com is the answer. And then Johnny Landoff Chevrolet online at Landoff.com. And they are at 270 in Washington, Elizabeth. And I cannot tell you enough good things about the Landoff family. It has been a real, real treat to get to know them over the last couple of years. And also to know that they're going to be in business for decades to come. Uh, Johnny's been running it now for a good long while, but he's got his sons out there doing great work. Just good people. And, uh, you know, my wife has had uh, an issue pop up with, um, I guess she ran over like a, I don't know what it was. I don't know. Something popped the tire. It's really not their responsibility. And the next thing you know, uh, Landoff sends a car out and takes care of it. Just, and that's what they do. They do it for Iggy. So people go, oh, they're just doing that for you. No, 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 no. They, they do. That's what they do. And that's how you build a reputation and a customer base. And that's why they've been around for so long. It's Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast every Sunday night. It's a new guest presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Every Wednesday, it's questions from the audience. And then every Thursday, it's the Pick 6 podcast. It's producer Joe Myself and G-Unit pick our college and NFC for the week, our six games. That's on the Tim McCurtain Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.